Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, here at Tree of Life, Pastor Ken has pushed this a lot. We are note pushers. That means we love for people to take notes. And there's a reason for that, because we know that scientifically we will remember more if we take notes. And then the second thing is you can take it home and study it for yourselves. There was a group of people in the Bible called the Bereans, and they were commended because they didn't just take a preacher's word for it. They studied it on their own and made sure it was true. And so if you'd like to take notes today, we have paper. Just raise your hand. There's ushers in the aisle who would love, love, love to give you some paper so that you can take notes. But I'm excited for tonight. We're going to talk about something that the Lord's been working in my heart. And it's been a a really fun journey. So you're going to hear some weird things come out of my mouth because I'm a little bit of a weird guy. Anybody that knows me knows that, but that's okay. So as you're doing that, I'm going to start reading a passage of scripture that we're going to start with tonight. Is that okay with you? And you can just write it down after you're done. But it's Matthew 20. And we're going to be in the New Living Translation. And we're going to read verses 20 through 28 right now. So I'm just going to read it for you and you can write it down whenever you get a chance. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with their sons. Now, James and John were some of the 12 disciples. So she comes to Jesus with her sons and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What's your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now I got to thinking about in our context, what would she sound like? If you live in South Texas, she probably sounds like one of two things. She has a nice Southern drawl. You know, she'd be like, can my son sit in you? You know what I'm talking about? That would be your mom. Or if you live in South Texas, your mom might sound like this. Mijo, can my sons please have a place of, you know what I'm talking about? So it would be one of those two things in South Texas, picture whoever your mom is. So she says, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh yeah, they replied, we're able. Jesus told them, you'll indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to serve, but to came not to be served. I always get that wrong, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the precious gift of the word of God that's preserved and passed down through generations so that we could learn by your spirit how to be more like Jesus. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and we thank you for your word. And we thank you that as I teach today, God, as I speak, that it's not so much about what I say, but it's about what the Holy Spirit wants to tell your people through me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare that our hearts are open to hear what the word of God says. It's not about what a person says. It's about what you're speaking to our hearts today. And Father, we thank you for everyone here who may not know you yet that they're in the right place at the right time. And today, this word is going to impact them for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? 
Amen. If you like titles for your notes, then this sermon is called Unknown. You can write that down if you're a title person. Just kind of depends on who you are. When I read scripture, I have a problem. And and that's just, I have a lot of problems. But that's one of my problems is when I read scripture, I have a fight kind of between my right and left brain. Okay. Part of me, I'm an analyzer. Pastor Ken would attest to that. We were talking about that before service. I'm an analyzer. So I like to get things done on one hand, but on the other hand, I like to really study it out. So I have a really bad issue like with Bible reading plans because it'll be like, read six chapters today and I'll begin the first chapter and halfway through it, I'm stuck on a scripture and I'm studying that one. And that's kind of a fight in my mind because I heard somebody say one time they were trying to get through all these scriptures and the Lord stopped them on one and they began to study it and they said, he began just speaking to them like crazy and they said, whoops, I got to keep reading. (laughs) And they, they stopped and thought for a second, I just told the Lord that my plan was more important than him speaking to me. And so I have this fight in my mind where I overthink a lot of scriptures, but I like that because I get to see a lot of things in them and the Holy Spirit reveals them. So I'm gonna give you three things that I see in this passage really quick. You don't need to write these down. Half of these are dumb, but this is just what I see in the passage. This is a little insight into my brain. Number one, why is mommy with James and John? If you think about that for a second, what is mom doing in this situation? And I've thought, like, like when I first read the scripture, I was like, okay, maybe their mom went and did this without them knowing. And then they, she came back and they were like, mom, what have you done? You know? But if you read the text carefully, it says they came. It says Jesus answered them. And then they replied to Jesus. So clearly James and John are with their mom when this happens. And that just boggles my mind. When I was a kid, I loved this movie called Rocket Man. Has anybody ever seen Rocket Man in here before? So Rocket Man is a Disney movie about uh, this guy who's basically a kid in an adult's body. Everybody knows somebody like that, you know? And he lives at home and uh, he gets selected by NASA to be a part of the space program to go up into outer space. And his mom drives him to the space center for his training, which is perfect. And when he gets out of the car, she gives him a plate of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And she says, here, I made you these PB&J sandwiches and I even cut them into stars and moons for you. And the kid looks at her, or the man, I guess, and he says, mom, I'm 30 years old. I'm practically a grown man. That's kind of how I see James and John in the scripture. What is your mom doing? But maybe there was a customary thing that I don't know about. I don't know how that was, but we'll just leave that be. Number two thing that I think is what an audacious question. What an arrogant question in my opinion. I don't know. I'm not them. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But what would possess you to go up to the son of God and say, can I sit at the place of honor at your right and left hand? Can I let my mom ask that question for me? What possesses you to ask, ask something like that? To me, that just seems arrogant. Now, maybe they didn't mean it that way. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but we don't know. Number three, I see the disciples were mad. They were furious. They were angry. And I think we find a little clue as to just why they were so angry, potentially, if we look backwards in Scripture. If we start at verse 17 and we read through 19, this is what happened immediately before James and John came and asked this. It says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and he told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. And that's what Jesus called himself, the son of man. 
They'll sentence him to die. Then they'll hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, to be flogged with a whip and to be crucified. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. And it literally says in verse 20, if you remember, it says, then the mother of James and John. We don't know exactly how much time has passed. We don't know if it's 10 seconds, 10 minutes, a couple hours. But the next thing that Matthew tells us is then the mother of James and John. I find that so interesting because the disciples must have been furious when they found out that Jesus had just taken them aside, declared to them that he was about to be brutally beaten, wrongfully convicted by religious leaders, crucified, nailed to a tree, hands and feet to save the wolf from their sins. And two guys had the audacity to go up and ask for a position in a kingdom. When Jesus was telling them, I'm doing everything for you. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in that position. I think as people, we can't fake like we're not James and John sometimes. If we're honest with ourselves, we seek position more than anything at times. I love what Jesus' response to all the arrogance, all the conflict in his team. If, if you're a boss anywhere or a manager, man, that's a gold mine for you. Everybody's angry at each other. Jesus says, whoever wants to be a leader among you, verse 26, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We think of people becoming slaves because somebody else forced them to. But Jesus kind of flips that on us and he says, why don't you choose to become a slave? Why don't you choose to serve? Where it says, whoever wants to become first, that verse sometimes they translate it as whoever wants to become great. We all want to be something great. We all want to be well known and well thought of. But Jesus says, in order to be like him, the greatest person who's ever lived, you've got to take the position of a slave. Yesterday I sat and talked with this man uh, for one hour and I left and I wrote eight to 10 pages of notes. He's been leading worship for 45 years and he said something so powerful when we were sitting there. He said, you know, he's just sitting in his chair. And he said, you know, Paul considered himself to be a bond slave of Christ or a slave of Christ. And he said, when I think about slaves, what really, what rights do they have? And I got to think and I said, none. And he said, they have what rights their master gives them. And that's spoken to me like only somebody who's been serving the Lord for so long could say it. And he said, but if they serve their master well, and they have a good master, obviously, and the master takes care of them, doesn't he? I was like, yeah, that's a good point. And so just chewing on that in the context of this scripture, when Jesus asks us to become a slave, he doesn't ask us really to give up everything. He says, give up your rights and let me be your provider. Give up your right to think about yourself. Give up your right to promote yourself. And why don't you live to promote other people and let me promote you as I wish. He says, serve me, be like me, follow my example. The job of a servant or a slave is to facilitate their master's work. They work behind the scenes to make their master look great. I don't want to admit this, but I've seen a couple of episodes of Downton Abbey, and I feel a little bit ashamed to say that. If anybody knows what that show is, then you might know what I'm talking about. But I watched like a, 
like kind of the history behind it, because I don't know if you know about this about that show, but they are meticulously historically accurate. And so they began talking, and, and the guy, it is just really fascinating, probably cooler than the show for sure, because he begins talking about the history behind it. And if you notice, the people that would work in the house, the servants, they would never say thank you to them, ever. And they would just like, they would open the car door, person would get in the car, they'd smile and shut the door, that was it. And if you did a good enough job as a servant, that was kind of measured by, were you unnoticed or noticed? You're a good servant if you go unnoticed. You're not as good of a servant if they have to notice you. So as I began thinking of today, I began thinking that maybe Jesus' whole perspective and all of this mess in Matthew 20 that he had to clean up was that he wanted us to learn to become unknown. Maybe he wanted to replace our want and our desire to become great and well-known with a knowledge that if we just become unknown, he'd be everything that we need. So I want to give you really quick three keys to becoming an unknown. Before I do that, you can write that down, three keys to becoming an unknown. You know, being here at the church and working here at the church, we do a lot of memorial services. And uh, that is a sad thing, but I've learned so much about how to be a better person because of those services. Because I just sit back and process what people did in their lives and see what I can use in my life. And I think the Holy Spirit really reveals that to me. And I've sat in some services before. And I remember one service in particular, I heard about this guy that I didn't even know. And he had built multiple churches in a foreign country. Nobody knew this guy pretty much, except for the people who had been on the, on the trips with him, except his family and friends. But he wasn't in newspapers, but he had built the kingdom. I've sat in other ones where I heard about people that I had never maybe met personally. I knew of them and, and they built this church from the ground up over 30 years ago. And I thought, I never really knew this person's name, but because of them, I'm standing here today. Because of them, God is blessing this community. Because of them, God is blessing this world. See, those are the people who are the unknowns. Those are the people have you, ever, have you ever watched movies, like the credits, like stayed through the entire credits? If you see a Marvel movie, at the very end, there's always a little bit of a preview of the next movie. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you have to stay there through all the credits. And my goodness, the credits are long. But you begin to look at it. And, and when you do like a lot of, I guess Abby can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but when you do a lot of like the CG type of stuff, the computer graphics that go into these movies, sometimes you're taking one small portion. Like they'll say with video games, there'll be a guy and his job is to make trees in the video game. And so that's all he does for like a year or whatever that may be, is he does that. But if that guy wasn't there to do that part, if his name wasn't in those huge amounts of names in the credits, then somebody else would have had to fill his place. He's not the actor on the screen. He's the guy that was holding the camera. He's not the person that everybody knows, but he's the guy who made it happen. He's the guy who made it possible for the movie to get out there. I wonder if we could be like those people in the credits. If we could look to have our name in the little credits and not just the big ones. Not just on the front of the poster, but at the very back end of the credit roll. 
I wonder if that could be us. Three keys to becoming an unknown. Number one, rethink your definition of significance. Boy, do we have a skewed definition of significance. I think about, you know, we would lose our cool if we met somebody whose name was on a movie poster. Wouldn't we? We start taking pictures of them. And we start freaking out a little bit. Our heart starts to beat a little bit faster because they're famous. What would I say if I met them? I don't know. Hi, how are you? Right? But we have this definition of significance that means that if you're recognized and acclaimed and known, then you're significant. If people know your face, know your name. If people know that you're wealthy, if people can see your status, then you're significant. John Maxwell says that you can seek to be one of three things in your life, or you can seek one of three things. You can seek survival, you can seek success, or you can seek significance. Jesus flips our definitions of success and significance on their end when he teaches about leadership. If we look at verses 25 and 28 again, it says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And officials, or some translations say great men, flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And we see this, right? But Jesus's position, his title, and his authority were cloaked in humility. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. In the context of movie stars, when you see them in public, they're usually not dressed like a movie star. They have a hat on. They have glasses on. They're trying to look as normal as possible. There's a musician that I really like, and he takes most of his, I don't know how true this is, but this is what I've heard. He takes most of his cover photos as silhouettes. Genius idea, because everybody knows his music, but most people don't know his face. So he can be normal in regular life, but he can make great music. They try to cloak who they are and mask who they are. Jesus comes down as the son of God, the ultimate authority in this world besides the father. And he comes down and wraps himself in human flesh. To the point of coming as a baby boy, Jesus wraps all the dignity, all the power, all the authority and the privilege of heaven in humility. And he shows us how to be the same. What a powerful image for us. I think about the fact that for about 30 years, Jesus pretty much went unrecognized. You go from being born and kings travel from foreign countries in those days, probably on a camel, really slow going. They travel to come worship you. You go from there to nobody talks about you for 30 years and you're a carpenter. And that's who Jesus was. And he didn't complain about it. He wrapped his dignity, his power, his position, his pride in humility. We think about the fact that he gave up title, privilege, comfort, position, and power in heaven. For what? The end of this passage says to be a ransom for many so that he could pay a price and a debt that we could never pay. Jesus flips our idea of significance on its head because he says, if you would look like me, if you would humble yourself like me, then you would have lasting significance throughout eternity. 
it tricks our minds because when we see people that exalt themselves, we think, man, that person's great. Sometimes we go, really, can you stop? You know, everybody knows one of those people like, stop talking about yourself. But sometimes we say, wow, that person really is great and I could never be like them. But Jesus says, if you would humble yourself, if you'd make yourself as low as possible, if you would make yourself a servant, if you would make yourself a slave, then you would see what true significance really means. And we'll dive into that a bit more. Number two, learn to be content with knowing God intimately and being known by him. Learn to be content with knowing God intimately and being known by him. I wonder if our desire to be known and recognized by people is kind of a quiet declaration that being known by God isn't enough for us. I wonder if our desire for acclaim is really telling God, I get what you did for me, but I'm not sure that your pleasure towards me is enough. Because the Bible says that God delights in every detail of our lives. Your haircut, he likes it. Or he doesn't, I don't know. I guess that's up for, up for grabs. You have to pray about that. But God delights in every detail of our lives. So if we could get this picture that we don't need to broadcast every detail of our lives, Facebook, to people. <laughs> Somebody's clapping. But that God maybe delights in every detail of our lives. Now, please understand, I get that as humans, we're relational. I get that as humans, we need to know and be known. That's the way God created us, right? That's the reason why Eve was created in the garden, because Adam needed somebody else around. But I'm talking about a desire to promote ourselves. I'm talking about an unhealthy desire to appear successful when God's asking us to be significant. Just a thought for you. Jesus lived his life for the express purpose of dying as a sacrifice so that we could come to know God. And because of this, our lives, according to Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, are to be lived as a sacrifice, which is how we come to know God. So Jesus dies as a sacrifice to give us the ability to come to know God. And he calls us to live as a sacrifice so that we can come to know God. That is our representation of the fact that we're thankful for the door that's been opened through Jesus. It's the way that we live. It's what we do because Jesus died in the physical flesh and now it's our job to die in our flesh. Our flesh meaning those parts of us that do not want to do what God says. That part of you that wants that extra cookie, you know what I'm talking about? Same part that causes you to do a lot of other things you wish you wouldn't do. We got to die to that flesh. Just a thought, Psalm 8410, you can read this on your own. I'm not going to get too far into this. But in the NLT, it says, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the houses of the wicked. One translation says on the threshold. So if I'm in the threshold and I'm watching the gate, then I am exposed to the elements. Heat, right? Rain, whatever that may be. He also says stand there. So you stand on the threshold, you're uncomfortable, you're exposed to the elements. You dwell at ease in the tents of the wicked, the Amplified Bible says. Would you rather be uncomfortable and serve the Lord or would you rather have everything easy and do what's not of God? Would you rather be uncomfortable and live your life in the presence of God 
or would you rather have it all easy and be without him? Just a thought. You can check that out on your own time. The titles and the recognition that we seek are nothing compared to the privilege of knowing the Father and being known by him. That's one to write down. When I wrote that, I just felt, (laughs) you know when you're writing something and you're like, thank you, Jesus. Anybody ever felt that before? I'm not talking about the angry text you sent to your boss or whatever. I'm talking about something legit. Because it was like the Lord was speaking to me. The titles and the position and the favor that you want so bad, that I want so bad, that our flesh craves so bad, it's nothing compared to knowing and being known. Knowing your Father God. The intimacy that Jesus paid for. You remember the kids that came up to Jesus and he said, you gotta be like a kid to come to me. A kid doesn't come seeking title, recognition, and acclaim. A kid's just a kid, and they just want to get to know you. At the end of the day, I'd rather be uncomfortable and unknown, but be close to Jesus, than live the comfortable, well-known life without knowing his heart. I'd rather be uncomfortable, unknown, unheard of, and know who Jesus is, than have everything but miss him. Come on. Number three says, put Jesus in the center of everything you do. And this is where it's going to get fun for us today. Because I like fun things. I like figuring stuff out in scripture. I told you I'm a camper. I sit on one scripture and I never finish the chapter and it annoys me, but I learned that way. In John 3.30, we see John the Baptist moving out of the way so that Jesus' ministry can take center stage. I heard a preacher say it like this. John was the baptizer, right? He baptized people. His followers come to him and they say, hey, John, um, you're the baptizer. That's your gig. And Jesus is starting to do it too. What are we going to do about it? So they're kind of like, hey, your recognition, your fame, your acclaim is going away. This preacher that was speaking, he pointed out one time that he said, It says that the entire city of Jerusalem came out to watch John baptize people. The entire city. He was a famous guy. He was well known. But I love what he says. In the NLT, it says, he must become greater and greater, meaning Jesus, and I must become less and less. John said, I'll get out of the way because this is all about Jesus. John understood his position in the kingdom and John's position is actually the exact same position that you and I carry. And all that it is, is we make a path to Jesus for people. We just point. That's a pretty easy job. You don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. All you gotta do is point to him and do your best to be that person. Here's what it says in the message paraphrase. I love it. He says, this is the assigned moment for Jesus to move into the center while I slip off into the sidelines. You think of it as people singing on a stage, one person's in the spotlight and their solo is over and they do the little, "Ah," whatever, and then they back up. That's what I would do if I did that. And they back up and then somebody walks in And they take the spotlight, right? And they move out of the spotlight. John said, I was just here to point to Jesus. I was kind of the warm up for him. He's the real baptizer. I told you that we would read a little bit more of Matthew. I think I did. I don't even remember. But we're going to read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Because I kind of want to show you 
the finish of this story with the disciples. This whole, we're asking for power thing. So there's a little paragraph at the end of verse, uh, chapter 20, and I'm not gonna get into that. Jesus heals a blind man, and you can read that on your own time, but I wanna skip to Matthew 21, verses one through 11 in the New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. And as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. I started laughing because in their days, this is like stealing a car. You know what I'm saying? So he's basically saying if the alarm goes off, like the donkey starts going crazy and the person comes outside, you just tell them that the teacher wants it and it'll all be good. That's kind of what he's telling these guys. So it says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. This is written in Jeremiah hundreds of years before. It says, he is humble. Everybody say humble. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm more humble than you. You got to do it. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, okay? There's so much more to this story. James and John, their, their mom, did not get what Jesus was about to do. And when Jesus rides in on a donkey, he says, I'm coming in peace not to bring a war right now. James and John's mom thought everything was going to just blow up and Jesus was going to take over. And he said, that's not what I'm doing. I'm coming in humbly in peace. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and they threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. And I think of this, would I put my coat on top of the stinky, smelly animal for Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of, of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Think about roads back then. We're not talking nice, nice roads. We're talking nasty roads. Your cars are animals. Exhaust is different, okay? Just think of it that way. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road. Jesus is in the center. Everybody say center. The center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he came in. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They didn't know he was more than a prophet. They'd find that out eventually. But I want us to zone in on this one word right here in its center, in the center of the procession. Notice that John said, the assigned time has come, has come for him to move into his position in the center and for me to back away. The best way for you and I to understand how to be an unknown is to put Jesus in the middle of everything we do. Right there in the center where he belongs right there in the place of honor and authority that he deserves. As a slave, our whole lives are wrapped around serving him. And as we do that, he'll lift us up. But I want to see something pretty fun right here. I think the Holy Spirit was intentional in the way that he inspired the Bible. I don't know about you. And I noticed something in this scripture, the Holy Spirit dropped this into my heart and I, I hope that this ministers to you too. Two sons, James and John, come to Jesus, ask for power, position, and authority. 
This whole entry into Jerusalem thing, they're on the way to Jesus dying. So they come right before this entry and they ask for power, position, and authority. Jesus teaches them, you've got to be a servant. You've got to be a slave. You've got to love people more than you love position and power. You've got to honor people instead of being arrogant. And I noticed something in this scripture. It says, they came to the town. Jesus sent two of them ahead. The two disciples in verse six did as Jesus commanded. Don't you think it's interesting that two guys whose names were known came and asked Jesus if they could be honored? And two disciples whose names we'll never know facilitated one of the greatest worship experiences of all time because they were willing to be unknown. Don't you think that's strategic of the Holy Spirit? He likes to have fun. And I think that Matthew intentionally wrote that because Matthew was there. I bet he intentionally put it that way because the Holy Spirit inspired him to. I have a theory this is not God at all, but I just wonder if it was James and John that went and found the donkey. You know, like, hey, you learned your lesson. <laughs> you know, just a thought. What if God intentionally placed two people, nameless, unknown, to facilitate the greatest expression of praise to him. What if you and I are supposed to lay down our desire for honor, wealth, prestige, power, all that stuff? Not bad stuff, but if we're gonna ask for it, we've gotta ask for it so that we can facilitate a greater worship experience where people worship the Messiah, not us. What if you and I this week chose to get out of the way and become unknown? We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.